Yankees Files podcast. We are back. I'm Will Harris. You're Alec Whipple. And the rest of you are fans of a team that I am willing to make the case is turning things around. Did they drop three out of four to Toronto? Yes, but it just feels different to me now. Maybe it's I'm viewing the world through Oswaldo Cabrera shaded glasses, but um, I just I just feel good. Uh, I didn't watch a lot of the baseball uh, after Wednesday night and before yesterday as I was at a bachelor party. Um, so I can just convince myself that the bad doesn't exist, and I'm more than willing to do that. Um, Whipple, how are you feeling? Definitely better than yesterday uh, morning when I think we might have thought the sky was falling. And yeah, I think baseball is all about uh, you know taking stats and looking at some and not at others. So I'm definitely willing to write off those three games in the middle of Wednesday and Sunday and say they didn't exist. Um, but actually, I think that this was definitely an interesting week of Yankees baseball. Uh, I, I don't think it can be overwhelmingly bad because there were some really high moments. Um, and I also am willing to to let myself believe that there is a turnaround in the works. Um, but there are definitely issues that we, you know, we need to talk about that manifested themselves. Uh, top line takeaway is that the Yankees are in a really good position to win their division and are tied for the second best World Series odds in baseball. And no matter what we talk about, that has to underline everything because this team, despite its struggles, despite its sometimes seeming uh, desire to give the division away, is still up eight games over teams that they're going to play less than eight times. So they control their destiny, and even though they've played poorly, an eight-game lead in August is nothing to sneeze about. And I just want to keep that at the forefront um, because that's really good. You know, the first half of the year has been better than the second half, but it's one season, and at the end of the day, you know— the Rays and the Blue Jays are not in first place. The Yankees are. Yep. So, Whipple, you tweeted a lot of things while I was gone. Um, a lot of things. And as someone who is and starting law school, I feel like I'm being called into court right now. So just want to <laughs> say I'm ready to defend well, myself. First, there are some that I want to give you credit for. Uh, for example, you had a thread about the trade deadline. And I think the only inaccurate thing that you said in the thread was that they got the best rental outfielder. Um, they got the best rental outfielder that moved, but they did not get the best rental outfielder who anyone understood was available. Um, I guess Ian Happ wasn't a rental, so I won't call out that he has a 114 WRC plus since Andrew Benintendi became a Yankee, but Jock Peterson was a rental and Jock Peterson is hitting 275 slugging 450 and has a 125 WRC plus and a lower strikeout rate than Andrew Benintendi since, uh, since Andrew Benintendi became a Yankee. So, um, but I mean, I think you were generally correct. The Yankees made moves that they could have been reasonably convinced we're going to improve the team. The Montgomery Bader thing is weird. I think we all probably agree something was going on kind of below the surface there, potentially with the deal for Pablo Lopez. Um, that was weird. You hit the nail on the head there, and then you hit the nail on the head again. You said they stopped hitting and very notably stopped hitting for power. And in spite of relatively good pitching in the stretch where they've struggled, um, you know, they've, they've lost a lot of games in which they've given up like four runs or fewer. And uh, I, I thought you were right on with that. I agree that a lot of the blame on Cashman for somehow 
the Yankees went into the trade deadline with the best record in baseball, and they've been terrible since then. I think the the blame for Cashman, the blame that people are putting on Cashman for how he handled the trade deadline when they got two relievers who have been really good for the Yankees, a starter who has been disappointing but we feel like should probably be good for the Yankees, and an outfielder who is regressing but has been a lot better than Aaron Hicks would have been in that time, uh, it, it feels misplaced. I completely agree, and I think you should be commended for that analysis. Yeah, I think the fire Brian Cashman movement is, uh, it, it definitely has its merits, but if you're focusing just on the uh, one, okay, I don't think they should fire Brian Cashman. I don't think that's productive. Agree to talk about but if you're looking at his strengths and weaknesses I don't think the trade deadline was a weakness for all the reasons that you just said but also for the fact that they have been in positions in the past few years where they have been 2019 comes to mind where they have been the in pole position the division and have just not done anything and this was a lot better than that I mean in May I said I didn't think they were going to do anything just based off the fact that they haven't done anything when they're this far ahead in the division he took a team that had a few weaknesses but a lot of strengths and upgraded those strengths and tried to mitigate those weaknesses and I think you have to give him credit for bringing in guys who are valuable you know the the question of how valuable or who was actually available is up for debate but he didn't make the team worse at worst he switched out some guys you know Jordan Montgomery left but also the starting rotation has not been the problem in the last month so I don't think you can say Jordan Montgomery leaving was the reason the Yankees are falling apart. I mean, the reason the Yankees have suffered is because in August, Anthony Rizzo has been hitting below average. Glaber Torres is hitting below average. DJ LeMahieu has taken a step back. Um, Even Aaron Judge has had his moments of struggling. You know, never pull a Stephen A. Smith and say it's his fault, but there have been moments recently where he hasn't hit as well as he did uh, before. So I think you have to look towards the lineup not scoring in pretty much every yep. game, which puts pressure on the starters to be perfect and the bullpen to be perfect, which happened in the first few months, but isn't necessarily happening here. It's a lot of what you talked about last year, where the bullpen struggles were a, more of a product of the offense. I think we're seeing that return a exactly. little bit. So Brian Cashman, in my opinion, had a great trade deadline, and it could have been better, but it also could have been a lot worse through inaction. And there's no curse of Joey Gallo or Jordan Montgomery. It's the fact that the guys they have have not been hitting. Uh, And hopefully we're going to see that turnaround. But, um, you know, Frankie Montes needs to pitch better for sure. But look at Lou Trevino. He pitched well. You know, Benintendi has his moments. The guys have had good moments. Guys have had bad moments. It's, you know, it has not been a total disaster uh, as many people are putting forward. Yeah, I mean, I certainly wouldn't say that Cashman had a great trade deadline. Um, you know, the the Montgomery for Bader trade really sticks out. The Benintendi trade, I maintain, was a disappointment. But you can understand why Cashman made the moves that he made, um, you know, given where the team was at that time. And... uh. I, I agree that blaming him is misplaced, and I think you again hit the nail on the head with part of what has been so tough for the Yankees in this stretch is even when they've pitched well, there haven't been any low-leverage innings, um, and you can't have a game full of high-leverage innings, and that's on the offense. 
you need to win some laughers. That's what made them so good early in the year is that they played so few close games that it was possible to win them at high rates because of the mm-hmm. bullpen being rested and because of, you know, just guys generally all being hot at the same time. But like, you know, having elite Clay Holmes and Mike King is one thing, but even if the Yankees had elite Clay Holmes and Mike King right now, they still would be pitching way more high leverage innings than it feels like they should be. And that, as you said, is completely a product of the offense not producing at the level that it should be. Now, I had someone ask me the other day, like, were we fooled by the production of certain guys early in the year? And is this slump that we're seeing recently actually more representative of how this team should produce? And as far as I'm concerned, absolutely not. Like, Glaber Torres is a meaningfully better hitter than he's shown recently. Aaron Judge is even a better hitter than he's shown recently. Uh, Anthony Rizzo is a meaningfully better hitter than he's shown recently. DJ LeMahieu, I haven't really had a huge problem with because uh, he's delivered in a couple of high leverage spots, but even he is going to hit more doubles than he has recently. Right. Um, in August, DJ LeMahieu's batting 258 with a 667 OPS. That's going to get better. Yeah, that's like perfectly league average, basically. Um, so, yeah, I, I just think there, there are a lot of guys who got cold at the same time, and I. I know it gets tired hearing this week after week, but as you said, the Yankees maintain an eight-game lead in the AL East. Um, I'd rather they all be cold now than have all of them be cold in October. And we just got the news. We're recording this on Monday evening before the Mets game. Um, We just got the news that Stanton will be activated on Thursday. It kind of feels like they could do that earlier, but they've decided not to. Uh, the Yankees called up Oswaldo Cabrera and Estevan Florial. Uh, Cabrera, I really like and think is sticking around. Florial, I think uh, the Yankees aren't really interested in giving much of a chance. Um, but like, it just it. Even though we're not quite seeing it break through yet, I do feel like things are moving in the right direction for this team. And I think that a lot of the takes that you put out about this team and the moves that they made and you know, what the real root causes of the issues are, we're good. And I think you should be commended for those. And that's how I wanted to start off because it probably won't be as cordial for the rest of the podcast. Well, I appreciate it. And I'm, I'm a little terrified of what's coming next. Um, so I will let you take it. Andrew Benintendi hit his first home run as a Yankee on Sunday afternoon. And it was a, a huge home run in a big spot. He launched it. Um, I mean, it ended up in the second deck uh, and it, ultimately plated the winning runs for the Yankees in yesterday's game. And um, it really seemed like you believed that uh, that home run vindicated everything you had said about Andrew Benintendi. And uh, I need to start by saying I was wrong about uh, Aaron Hicks. A big part of the reason that I said the Yankees didn't need Andrew Benintendi was because they had Aaron Hicks, and Aaron Hicks would be just as good or better. And for much of Andrew Benintendi's tenure with the Yankees, it was true that in their most recent like 250 or so plate appearances, Hicks had been better than Benintendi. Uh, it's still true that Hicks is the better defensive left fielder. However, Aaron Hicks, since Andrew Benintendi became a Yankee, is hitting 088, 
with a negative 14 WRC plus. Um, it's been it's been miserable. Uh, now you can look at some of the peripherals and think maybe that Aaron Hicks should be doing a little bit better than that. He's walking 10% of the time. He's striking out basically only the same amount as Ben Intendi. He's hitting the ball, not super hard, but not ridiculously weak. Like he probably shouldn't be hitting 088, but he shouldn't be doing great. And, uh, you know, to have five hits in his last 64 plate appearances and, have none of them go for extra bases is awful. Uh, so I was wrong that Aaron Hicks would be an adequate player uh, and that the Yankees didn't need Andrew Benintendi as a result. Now, I was right about Andrew Benintendi's continuing regression. Um, before his game on Sunday with his double and home run, Andrew Benintendi had a 78 WRC plus as a Yankee. Um, after that game, he has a 102 WRC plus as a Yankee. Uh, he has a 109 WRC plus in his last 269 plate appearances after having a 140 WRC plus in his first 208. Andrew Benintendi's continuing regression should concern us. And to regress, I think you've kind of mischaracterized what regression is on Twitter to serve your narrative that Andrew Benintendi is good. Regressing doesn't mean you go 0 for 4 every day until you're a perfectly league average hitter. Andrew Benintendi was about a 107 WRC plus hitter for his career coming into this year. He then had a phenomenal first two months, uh, you know, buoyed by a 390 BABIP. And then after that, he was exactly the player he had been for the first almost 3,000 plate appearances of his career. So the fact that he is that guy suggests that overall, or the fact that he's been that guy for his last 270 plate appearances and that he was for the first 3,000 plate appearances of his career suggests that that's the guy he is. And over a large enough sample size, he should regress to being about that guy. So it's not surprising that if you look at increasingly smaller samples of Andrew Benintendi's season, uh, you know, going back to basically the beginning of June, his WRC plus gets lower and lower and lower. So great. It's awesome that he had a game with a double and a home run. And as I said on Twitter, if he is trying to re-optimize his batted ball profile for slugging because he doesn't play in the park with the second biggest outfield in baseball anymore... That would be a good thing, but one game with a double and a home run doesn't mean, is, is not sufficient evidence that that's coming. I hope it is, but Andrew Benintendi has been a 109-ish WRC plus guy for the majority of his plate appearances this year, 269 compared to 208, and he's been, frankly, worse than that as a Yankee, and until... Uh, you know, yesterday afternoon, much worse than that. So Andrew Benintendi, my theory about Andrew Benintendi's regression was entirely based on uh, the fact that his BABIP would continue to fall. It was 390 for the first two months of the season. It, uh, since early June, is 321, and since joining the Yankees is 268. It's fallen from 390 to 350 on the season. And guys don't have a 350 BABIP unless they're like Tim Anderson, so it's going to continue to fall. And the only way that Andrew Benintendi can offset 
that falling BABIP and turn it into productivity is with power, and his ISO is still under 100. So everything I said about Andrew Benintendi at the beginning of June and since the Yankees acquired him was right, and it is not disproven by him hitting one home run one time. He has one home run in, what, 75 plate appearances as a Yankee? Like, that's, that's nothing. One home run in 91 plate appearances as a Yankee. That's like a seven home run pace over a full season. That is nothing. Everything I said about Andrew Benintendi in June has been correct. And I'm glad that he had a good game. I, as I said to you when we were texting yesterday, I hope that he succeeds, but I expect him to fail. And the only way he can avoid failing as a Yankee is going to be to slug. So I hope that his outburst the other day uh, portends higher slugging on the horizon because he cannot BABIP his way into success anymore. The BABIP regression has already come for him and it will continue to. So I think we're actually closer on this point. I, we we might have reached a, a breakthrough potentially in the Benintend off because I do agree with you that I don't think that Andrew Benintendi BABIPing his way to success is you know the like the best way for him forward, something that's sustainable. Where I think I differ is that you... Hope he's going to succeed, expect him to fail. I hope he's going to succeed and expect him or at least anticipate some more success, which I, as I outlined earlier, I do believe that there, I believe that there was more power there that he wasn't unlocking. And in his last 16 games for the Yankees getting, you know, the first seven games having a rough start, which I get, you know, you can't discount those seven games but just looking at the trend in his last 16 games he has an 810 OPS at seven doubles one triple one home run as a Yankee we actually probably could expect some Babbitt progression back the other way just because it's so much lower having a Babbitt in the 260s you'd expect it to normalize in the 300s or at least closer to his career average of 320 so it doesn't have to be there, but you'd expect it to be a little better than it has been. But I think the key is the power. I mean, he's hitting the doubles. I think the home run was so encouraging because that is the you know that is the way for success for him. He doesn't have to hit twenty home runs, but he has to hit more than zero. Because yes, I agree with you that I don't. Your point of him regressing is a hundred percent taken, a hundred percent proven accurate. I mean, the statistics show he has been regressing since early June. He wasn't the outfielder we saw in the first two months. His career shows that and the rest of his season statistics show that. But I think this year, my anticipation or what I've seen from him is that the power, you know, he's hitting with a lot less power. And I think there is a lot of room for improvement, at least more than we've seen. And hopefully, you know, this weekend was the start of that. And the, his numbers since August 5th, since that first week in pinstripes, showed that, you know, if he's an 800 OPS or a high 700 OPS outfielder, then that's providing value. I think something I've actually been more discouraged on in him is the defense because it definitely is a little bit rougher than this last week than I think in his first few weeks with the Yankees. Um, but I think... He, I think he is capable of having an OPS in the 800s because he's going to potentially hit for less average but more power. His walk rate as a Yankee has been increased, and it's now around four. It's around 14%. So that's another way he can provide value. Um, I, I think we're on the same page in that Benintendi is going to succeed or fail not by hitting ground balls that sneak through holes, sneak through holes, but whether he's going to hit extra base hits. He's going to hit for any level of power because. On Friday and Saturday, it was very frustrating to watch him because he grounded out a lot and killed a lot yep. of rallies. So the Benintendi on Sunday is the one that I think we both want to see. I think the difference is 
where you know our belief that he can actually sustain that and time will tell and I believe that the last few weeks have shown that he can um but yeah I, I don't think Babbitt's success is is you know it, it's not sustainable I, I 100% agree with you there so it's nice to see that you've come around and started believing the statistics that say he's a bad defender um yeah, the Saturday was really rough. I'm not going to lie. That, <laughs> As a Benintendi fan, I, I was a little shaken by that inning. I wonder if anyone, maybe someone you've known for many years and might assume you would trust and someone who you uh, tend to respect as an intellectual uh might have told you like nearly a month ago that Andrew Benintendi was actually not a very good defensive left fielder and that, um, you know, you shouldn't uh, put a lot of stock into his gold glove. He's now at zero DRS and negative two outs above average uh, on the year. He He's actually like very, very bad. Yeah, I mean, I was it was hard because I was listening to the same person tell me that it was impossible for him to hit for any more power than he was currently hitting for. So I, I must have not heard it. Um, I think when you're talking about a guy whose uh, whose ISO is still under a hundred on the year, um, I don't I don't know that you're really like you're again hanging your hat on on one home run. Benintendi's career ISO is 152, and his ISO with the Yankees is 158. So I put that forth for the court to see. Gosh, a guy goes to law school for three days, <laughs> and this is what he's doing. Look, Andrew Benintendi, if he... here, Here's the thing. like, <laughs> The annoying thing about Andrew Benintendi is that to this point with the Yankees, he had to hit for a lot lower average to make his ISO go up. So... His tool was on base, right? Like, the whole thing about him was, oh my God, he's a 400 on base guy. Um, and if Andrew Benintendi had been a 400 on, or like, were truly a 400 on base guy, I wouldn't be so mad about his lack of offensive production because if he were a 400 on base guy who was slugging 368, and he's slugging 368 with the Yankees, um, he would be like a 125 WRC plus hitter or better. But in order to get to his 158 ISO and 368 slugging, it has taken him striking out way more than he was earlier in the year and hitting 211 and his on base going down to 322. So, like, I get that Andrew Benint Andrew Benintendi right now has not done the trade-offs in a good enough way. You have to sacrifice some average to get slugging, but he's still slugging under 370. And he sacrificed, what, 90 points of average as compared to... No, he joined the Yankees hitting 320, and he's hitting 210 now. Um, like, let's... <laughs> I understand that you really want to extol Andrew Benintendi's virtues, but for a guy who's been a negative defender and only 2% above average offensively as a Yankee, uh, who saw his average go down 110 points, his on-base go down... 65 points and his slugging go down 30 points like you're talking about a guy who's slugging 368 who I said couldn't slug when he was slugging 398 so like I don't know I don't know what you really want to do with that one yeah but look at him in comparison to the guy that you wanted to bring to the Yankees Jock Peterson I mean the overall numbers this year are worse but yeah, Jock Peterson has a 125 WRC plus since Andrew Benintendi joined the Yankees. 
Uh, he has a 125 WRC plus on the season, which is also better than Andrew Benintendi. And he's hitting 275, 341, 450 since July 28th. So but in I'm comparison, excited to see where this comparison is going. But if you take Benintendi's first week on the Yankees, which I get I'm taking out the worst sample, but I'm also looking at the most recent sample. And I feel like if we're talking in two weeks, it's only going to improve in that direction. And since August 5th, Benintendi's numbers have been remarkably similar to Jock Peterson's numbers in average on base percentage and slugging. And it's not identical. And I get it's a very small sample, but I also think that they're, you know, it's only been a few weeks. I'm interested to see where it goes in a few more weeks. In what way am I supposed to prefer the guy who, uh, is slugging, what did we establish? Andrew Benintendi is slugging on the season 392 uh, to the guy who's slugging 490. Like, I understand that recently Andrew Benintendi has been a little bit more similar to Jock Peterson, but, like, Jock Peterson is slugging 490 on the year and has a 125 WRC+, plus, which is higher than Andrew Benintendi's. Since Andrew Benintendi became a Yankee, Jock Peterson is better than him by even more. Like, I'm just, I'm just not following but, it. Andrew Benintendi is not the reason the Yankees have been bad, but signing a 125 or whatever he was at the time, 130 WRC plus bat, and expecting him to be a key piece in your lineup and hitting him, you know, in your top three frequently and leading him off a lot, uh, and then getting perfectly league average production out of him is not what you signed up for. So I like it's great that Andrew Benintendi basically won the Yankees a game yesterday, but I it would have been really nice if Andrew Benintendi were like playing well for more of his tenure as a Yankee. Um and I bet that the Yankees could have used a 125 uh, WRC plus bat who's hitting 275, slugging 450, and getting on base uh, over 34% of the time uh, in this recent stretch. And Andrew Benintendi hasn't provided any of that. Yeah, I mean, I think that Jock Peterson, we can go back to whether he was available or not. And I think by the fact that Giants didn't trade Rodon or him, it would have been tough just to judge his availability if you know he did he didn't get traded and it doesn't seem like he was going to get traded and if he was on the Yankees I you know would be just as happy I think that I can only evaluate based on who was actually traded given that Benintendi was traded I think the best comparison for him is in relation to what Joey Gallo was providing and he provided a definite upgrade over Joey Gallo who was the previous starting outfielder and Aaron Hicks who was the you know starting outfielder in between Benintendi and Gallo. I mean, the problem is people are playing multiple positions. Hard to do a direct comparison. But my point is Andrew Benintendi is a meaningful upgrade over every single alternative the Yankees have put out and the options we know were available. And we can debate about whether Jock Peterson was available or not, but the signs that we see show that he wasn't. Um, and to saying that he's hurt the Yankees, I think is ignoring, like, again, I'm saying it again, the first seven games were bad. The last 16 were good. You know, let's see in two weeks how it is. But I'm willing to give, you know, that the first bat week was a bad, uh, you know, a bad start and think the last 16 games are more indicative um, for the same reason that you can look at, you know, his last few months as more indicative than his first two months. The Yankees were getting a 96 WRC plus from 
left field before signing Andrew Benintendi and have gotten a 102 WRC plus from Andrew Benintendi, 78 before yesterday's game. So I don't know that the the difference is as great as uh, as it sounds. Well, they got good Aaron Hicks for a little while, but I think that creature is gone. Uh, yeah, no. The, <laughs> we'll always have the home run against I, Houston. I will say it again. I was wrong about Aaron Hicks, and uh, I'm surprised that I was wrong about Aaron Hicks, but um, but I was. So that there's, I mean, that's that's just that. I think we're in the same position, you know, debating all the details, but our position is that Andrew Benintendi needs to be more of the hitter we saw on Sunday to succeed. Our difference is, do we believe he can actually get there? So, yeah, in in one respect, that's closer than we've been on the Benintendoff. Andrew Benintendi, in 91 plate appearances, has been worth .2 Fangraphs war and has hit for a 102 WRC+. Over a full season, that's what, call it 600 plate appearances, that would be about 1.3 war. I don't think anyone would be happy with getting 1.3 war from Andrew Benintendi over a full season. And we definitely disagree about his ability to improve his pace because this does seem kind of like it's who he is, um, to me at least. But look... I think there's a world where Andrew Benintendi isn't even in a playoff lineup uh, if if things do get that dire, and I'd be, you know, more than okay with that. Um, and I think there's a world where he does get hot, like if he kind of re-optimizes for slug, like I said. But Whipple, one thing I want to go through with you is uh, I think something that you know, if you consider. I don't know, like a like some fan who's often pretty negative, um, who is like ready to say that the sky is falling and, you know, ready to give up on this team. Like maybe this hypothetical fan is named like Mitch Harris. Um, he would like to know, I bet, where the blame should fall for the Yankees struggles. Uh, and and frankly, I think he would want names. So uh, I've pulled up the Fangraphs leaderboard of uh, Yankees hitters in the second half. And I just want to go through these guys with you and kind of get your take on whose struggles in the second half have been most pronounced uh, or, you know, most detrimental to the Yankees. So we're talking about a sample of about 29 games here. Uh, And the first thing that sticks out to me is the Yankees just have not gotten a lot of plate appearances from Matt Carpenter or, or uh, Giancarlo Stanton in that time. They have 67 plate appearances together uh, in that period, you know, which is almost, almost nothing. I mean, Miguel Andujar, Joey Gallo, Estevan Florial, and Marwin Gonzalez basically combine for more. So that's the first thing that sticks out to me is like injuries always sound like an excuse, but when you have two of your most productive hitters go down, like that's really going to hurt. Yeah, I mean, Stanton has, correct me if I'm wrong, he's played one game since the All-Star break or two games. I mean, he's barely been a factor. And Matt Carpenter's yeah. injury over the last two weeks, I think, has really 
put a dent in this offense just based on the way he's been hitting. So, yeah, you never want to blame injuries, but that's two really big pieces to just not have. And I think especially for Carpenter, it's robbed them of a guy who, you know, was hitting like Barry Bonds, basically. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really tough. Um, So then next thing that sticks out to me is the Yankees gave, you know, Oswaldo Cabrera, I'm not going to get mad at for his offense yet. I think there's something there. Um, but, like, Miguel Andujar, 23 WRC+. Plus. Aaron Hicks, 27 WRC+. Plus. Glaber Torres, 47 WRC+. Plus. Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, 70 WRC+. Plus. Uh, Estevan Floreal, negative 3 WRC+. Plus. Marwin Gonzalez, 19 plate appearances, negative 61 WRC+. Plus. Timmy Lowe, who it seemed like had figured something out, evidently had not, negative 83 WRC+. Plus. So, you know, you're not talking about the guys who are getting the most plate appearances, but it's just a really rough, you know, those guys are playing a lot in that time. Aaron Hicks and Gleyber Torres especially, and IKF, and really, really struggling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you had to pinpoint one of them, I mean, I think Hicks has been made the scapegoat, and I'm not disagreeing with the fact that he has been you know, pretty awful. Um, but I like it. We're beating the drum, you know, again and again, I'm turning back to IKF. He had one good game, but at pretty much every single other game, he's in the middle of the lineup and just grounding out in every single conceivable yep. situation. And the base running in Seattle, I know is one instance, but I think that meant the mentality just pissed me off. Cause he's basically saying like, you don't know, like, only, I know what I was doing. Like, don't try to criticize me. Like, this is a play that, you know, I understand. Like, I did the right thing. And he so clearly didn't. So it's like the lack of accountability, the lack of any kind of offensive anything. And he basically hit home one home run and laid down a bun. And, yes, that will be the IKF game. But I think it's going to be because I, I really do think they are starting to face him out. And I think we're going to see it more and more. Yeah. Um, I just don't think they're going to say it because – that you the Yankees don't seem to respect or want Aaron Hicks to be a part of this lineup anymore. Like it's very clear he no. has been scapegoated, but I think IKF is a little yeah. different where they might gradually phase him out. So uh, we turn back to IKF, and I you know I, I think that's the guy who sticks out for me the most, just in the fact that he's not been made a scapegoat. He hasn't been pinpointed, but every single day he has been in there, he is killing some kind of potential offensive rally. Yeah, I mean and and. The thing that gets me about the base running in Seattle is all the IKF defenders uh, rest on the two things that he's supposed to do well, which is play defense, which are play defense and run the bases. And it's been widely exposed that he's not a good defender. And then we find out that he's a stupid base runner. Um, So, like... You know, at, at that point, it's like this guy provides no offensive value. He's been worse in the second half than he was over, you know, the course of the entire season. Uh, he has a 61 WRC plus since Andrew Benintendi joined the Yankees. I guess Andrew Benintendi must have cursed him. Uh, and he plays awful defense and he runs the bases poorly. Like, what is this guy's value? What is he doing? Um and I, I think that's what frustrated me so much is everyone's like, oh, well, you know, you can't hold it against him. He's not supposed to be a power hitter, but look at all this other stuff he does well. Well, there's no other stuff he does well to point to. And I think, you know, you and I have been on that for a long time, but the 
the game in Seattle was such a glaring example uh, of that. And it's just, he is, you know, someone was in our Twitter mentions the other day and said, uh, you know, you had tweeted, I think, enjoy the bench IKF after Oswaldo Cabrera made the Jeter jump throw. Um, and, uh, and someone responded and said, you know, that they feel bad for him, uh, for the fact that he's being, you know, basically phased out as you alluded to. And, um, I responded and I basically just told him like, IKF kind of got every opportunity. Um, you know, the... The idea that, yeah, someone said, poor guy, I can't help but feel bad for him. Um, like, what... There's there's certainly no unfairness directed towards IKF. Maybe it's unfortunate the way it played out, just that he, you know, had this opportunity to be the shortstop for the Yankees and take the next step in his career, and he just completely, you know, uh, messed it up in every aspect, but... <laughs> Uh, like uh, there, he was given no shortage of chances to succeed. Also, I just want to, I just want to run through, uh, the list of players who by Fangraph's base running metric are better base runners than, uh, IKF. Jose Trevino, Estevan Florial, Marwin Gonzalez, Andrew Benintendi, Kyle Higashioka, Aaron Hicks, Aaron Judge, Joey Gallo, Tim LaCastro, Miguel Andujar. Of Yankees with 10 or more plate appearances, 20 or more plate appearances this year, every single one of those guys is a better base runner than Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. Um, so he uh, he's terrible. He's truly, truly awful at everything. Uh, Oswaldo Cabrera, if I reduce the plate appearance threshold to 10, also a better base runner. I mean, it's it's astonishing. He has 0.6 Fangraphs war in 400 plate appearances. That's a less than one war pace. He is awful. Like, it's... The Yankees won a lot of games in spite of Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, but they only won one game because of Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. And... Uh, they need to get him out of there. And uh, I'm really encouraged to see how much Oswaldo Cabrera is playing. It would really help if Glaber were playing well right now because then they could completely phase him out. But IKF should not be seeing the field anymore. He is the worst regular the Yankees have. Yeah, and I'm hopeful that the Glaber turnaround is beginning. I don't think either of us are really worried about Glaber and the, his home runs over this last week, I think, are going to be the beginning of a turnaround because He's yep. not this bad. I mean, he's been so much better than this for about a year now. But yeah, Oswaldo Cabrera came up and provided more defensive value like in two games than Isaiah Kiner-Falefa did the whole year. Like remembering what it was yep. like to have a shortstop who could range and then make a throw while moving away from the base and not have it like airmail into the seats. I mean, that's the other thing. Like all the things you said about IKF are true, but he also for as bad as he is, he has bailed out so much by Rizzo. It's crazy like a, a mediocre yeah. first baseman would double his errors and that completely because the thing that gets me the most mad is that like yeah he's bad but like again there's no accountability like his throws are getting bailed out he's getting singles at times that make him seem like he's a lot better than he is even though a normal hitter would get all of those singles and then add in 
additional power. He's not taking mm-hmm. any responsibility. He is defended to the last straw by everybody. The people, as I said a few weeks ago, it is a crime that Joey Gallo was ran out of town while IKF was allowed to sit and be praised as like this great contact and base running guy. It's every single conceivable thing, save for one game, <laughs> multiple games. I mean, you know, they, I'll give him credit for the double of Class A because that was impressive, especially considering that I don't really think he has much of a hitting skill. Like, that was an impressive hit. Yeah. So I'll give him, like, two games. But still, it's just he is – every single thing has just been in his favor, and he hasn't taken advantage of it. And, you know, the personal insults and in- attacks on Twitter, like, that's, you know, that's a whole nother issue. We're just evaluating him on the field and everything related to that. Yeah, I'm sure he's a nice guy, but, you know, nice guys don't always get to be the shortstop of the Yankees. Yeah, like, do not – DM Isaiah Connor Falefa's dad and tell him that IKF is dead. Like, whoever was doing that shouldn't be doing that. That's bad. I want to see his dad fight John Boy, though. I like, do want to see his dad fight that. John Boy. That would be that would be good. But like, whoever's doing that, stop. Like, that's not a chill thing for you to be doing. Um, in fact, it's a bad thing for you to be doing. I'll, I'll even take it that far. Um, but IKF sucks at baseball. Like at, at some point we have to be able to be honest about these things and uh, IKF's really bad at baseball. So I'm right. glad that uh, that uh, we can agree on that and that we can fairly point out that Yankee, the Yankees and Yankees fans have scapegoated a number of different players uh, in over the course of this season. Uh, Joey Gallo specifically um but ikf and marwin gonzalez are two of the worst baseball players in the league and the impact of having a healthy harrison bader a healthy john carlos stanton a healthy matt carpenter and an oswaldo cabrera who figures out hitting at the major league level which i think he will because 19 plate appearances is not many we've seen him rip a couple balls um is going to be huge because then we will never have to see either of those guys near this team again, and that would be optimal. Yeah, if three above-average major major league hitters come back to this team and Marwin Gonzalez is still on the team, then I will start to question people who are making those decisions. But yeah. I, I'm shocked he's made it this far, but I think if everyone was healthy— then he would be gone. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, this is why they want him. They want to. They don't want to bring up their prospects, and they want a guy with the flexibility, you know, to to get rid of if they need to. And he's like, you know, he. I, I think they know how bad he is, but I do say that. And then he's playing against Scherzer tonight, so yeah, who knows? <laughs> he is no, bad. It's... He is worse than IKF if there's such a thing. He hasn't gotten yeah. a hit in like two months. Or sorry, um, it was like early July, but it I think feels it was like July third. Still. It's been a while. Whatever Um, it was. And it was off a position player. Yeah. Um, It's funny that we're not talking about Kyle Higashioka anymore, (laughs) which used to be. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. But he's also not doing great. But he's also a true backup now. The Yankees stopped playing Kyle Higashioka. The Yankees went, oh, this guy sucks. We'll play a different player instead. And they just refused to do that with IKF and Marwin. Well, Whipple, I think it's about time for us to rate our confidence in this team. And this is kind of a weird week because... As much as we spent a lot of this podcast talking about the underwhelming performance of a number of players and uh, how the Yankees have frequently put themselves in position to lose games recently and uh, 
you know, the injuries, and we can add Scott Efros to the list of injured players, uh, which is unfortunate. Um, I, I do feel like there's more optimism in this conversation this week than there was last week, and I'm interested to see how that translates into your ratings. So, 1 to 10. So, I think people saw on Twitter I kind of had a meltdown on Friday, and I stand by that. You because did. I was worried about I, I you. Don't, I did not say that I think the Yankees are going to not make the playoffs. I didn't say I wasn't confident in the future success of the team, but it was a really bad stretch of baseball. And like I said, it was be- not because of anything other than everybody stopped hitting at the same time. We haven't seen evidence that everyone's going to start hitting, but I just have confidence that one, well, one, they have an eight-game lead in the division and they have the flexibility to work this out. But two, we've seen them. There's no reason that the first half of their year is the outlier and the second half is the true talent. There, You could just as easily mm-hmm. say the second half of the year is the outlier. The first half is the true talent. And more games statistically, people are conflating the numbers, but the Yankees really got bad only a few weeks ago. To take it back to mid-June is ignoring a lot of really good series against good teams. So... Mm-hmm. You know, a team is never as bad as they are playing at their worst. And I'm willing to believe that the Yankees are going to start playing better. They have some favorable matchups after, I mean, Jacob deGrom just got pushed off of his start tomorrow. So that's one favorable matchup. They're going to play Oakland and Seattle, and then they're going to have a chance against Tampa. So next two weeks, they should be able to win some games. I think given all these conflicting emotions, I'm just going to stay at 8.5. I thought about going down, but I also... Don't want it to be like I don't, I don't want this to be a reflection of how I felt this last week. I think it needs to be a reflection of how I feel in the upcoming week, and I think I'm still at an eight point five. Um, you know, I'm still feeling good about where they are in playoff position. You need to see more from the offense, but if you put a gun to my head and say, you know, what's their, you know, what's their hitting going to look like this week, I would be hard pressed to say it is as bad as it's been. I think I would say it's going to get better because. That's what they've shown us, and you know that's what I think they will continue to show us. And you know this bad stretch has to end sometime because they are not this bad of an offensive team. And the pitching has been great. Let's not forget the pitching has been really yeah. good, and that's so key for this team. So eight point five. Yeah, I I agree. The pitching has been very good, and a lot of the concern about the pitching is exacerbated by the fact that um, that they've been in all these high leverage situations as we were saying before. So, um, you know, I think the pitching not only has it been good, it's been better than, uh, than it has gotten credit for. Um, so hundred percent agree with that. I'm also going to stay at 8.5 partially because I like being a contrarian. And I think the people on Twitter are just going insane and that their insanity is misplaced. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I just I can't find it in myself to lose confidence in this team with, um, you know, Stanton coming back later this week, with Severino coming back in a couple weeks, with Carpenter potentially coming back in a couple weeks, with Bader potentially becoming available, with, uh, you know, I'm confident that Cabrera is going to figure things out offensively, which means IKF is going to play less, um, you know, Clay Holmes will come back, Scott Efros will come back, uh, Trevino has really emerged in the bullpen as a legitimate piece. I love that. I think Clark Schmidt is here to stay. I think Marinaccio is here to stay. Like Things are just trending in the right direction, even though we haven't seen it come through in the results yet. And I don't think that was true for the last two weeks, but it, I do feel like it is now. Um, so, so I'm going to stay at an 8.5 as well. 
Uh, and my parting shot is that Jock Peterson has a 490 uh, slugging percentage this year, and Andrew Benintendi doesn't have any 23-game stretch, which is the amount of time he's been with the Yankees, with a slugging percentage over 471. So that's it from me. Uh, Whipple, any parting shots from you for this one? Yeah, Subway Series, and although these games don't mean as much as the last few Blue Jays games, it would be really nice for the Yankees to just shut the Mets fans up because they've been far too loud and tonight's game feels like a reverse lock so you're probably already listening to this after it happened so we'll obviously be proven correct but if the Yankees want to reassert their dominance or at least you know make the Mets fans shut up because we all know the Yankees are the better team uh, let's get after it tonight before they go to Oakland and LA and people forget about them for a few weeks because those games don't exist West Coast games are just a myth um, but West Subway Coast series. Trips. <laughs> Subway series West Coast trips are terrible I really don't like we, them and I'm pretty tired so I don't know how much of those games I'm gonna end up watching we need, um, one fun oh, fact sorry. we need Ken yeah. Singleton back for the West Coast games only way they're manageable that's a fact Ken we miss you at 29 all time um one thing that uh one fun fact that I learned from a source who I won't name because I don't know if uh it would uh have bad repercussions is um do you know whipple who was supposed to be included in the kelnick for cano trade who ultimately was not but brody had agreed in principle to it no jeff mcneil the mets almost made that very bad trade well i guess it hasn't been as bad a trade because kelnick hasn't been as, as good as he was supposed to be but they almost made that very bad trade even worse um so congrats to the Mets fan for not or congrats to the Mets for not absolutely metsing that one. Um, but yeah, people can keep up with our work at yankeesfiles.com. They can follow us on Twitter. We are at Yankees Files. And of course, you can always listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and we hope that you'll rate, review, and subscribe, unless you don't like it, in which case we hope you'll only subscribe. That's it from us. Uh, we'll be back same time, same place next week. Until then, let's go Yankees. 